Welcome to Startup to Scale, a podcast by Food Bevy. I'm your host, Jordan Buckner. Join me as I talk to aspiring entrepreneurs, seasoned industry experts, and everyone in between as we unlock the keys to growing from startup to scale. Jordan here, and welcome to today's episode of the Startup to Scale podcast. And my guest is Chris, who's the co-founder of Proper Good, along with his sister, Jennifer Jane. And welcome. I'd love for you to give a quick intro on what Proper Good is and um, how you came about creating it. Sure. Thanks for having me. Um, So Proper Good makes the tagline is 90 second meals for busy people. So essentially everything we do is 90 second shelf stable meals for keto, plant-based, gluten-free, dairy-free lifestyles. So imagine you're busy, you're at home, you're at work, you're in a rush, you're looking for a very clean instant meal. So everything we do is no fridge needed. You can take it with you in your backpack, you can stock up the pantry and you got a quick and easy meal whenever you need it. I love that. And so what led to the creation of Proper Good? Sure. Yeah. So I was actually, it's from a personal need. Um, I was actually doing my MBA and during that I was very focused on keto and plant-based lifestyles. I was experimenting with both and I like doing that as a just general kind of personal thing. I found it was really easy to find snacks and beverages. There were tons that were relevant to the keto lifestyle, for example. But when it came to meals, I was cooking them all from scratch, doing the whole kind of recipe process as most people do. So I basically wanted to try and create 90 second meals initially that fit the keto diet. And then that expanded to much wider kind of usage occasions and lifestyles from there. I love that. You know, it's interesting. A lot of founders create products that stem from a personal need. Um, and I'm always curious after like making thousands of the product, like how often do you still eat your soups and chilies? It's a great question. No, definitely. So we are actually super nimble on that new product side. So we're launching products every like four to six weeks right now. So most of my life is spent testing new items, um, just to get them ready for launch as opposed to eating, you know, the 18 that we now have. But yeah, it's a funny one. I'm eating something related most days, I would say. (laughs) Yeah, it's interesting. My uh, mom's actually a, a chef and just from like cooking you know, doing recipe creation is so much fun, but then like cooking the same foods over and over, like it's yeah. always interesting because it's like, okay, I can't just eat the same thing, but it's always good to have a product that you like still use and still eat. Um, sure. You know, one thing that I always find fascinating is, you know, when brands launch kind of the channels that they go after. So you said proper good is mostly a D2C business um, and you're purposely are kind of staying away from retail at the moment. Tell me about that decision and why. Yeah. So just a quick context, I ran another brand for about five years in the grocery store space and I, I love grocery and obviously there's a ton of opportunity to scale retail. We just found a lot of challenges with that. The timing of the sales process, the cost of entrance to stores, the a lot of hidden costs in terms of demos and billbacks and things like that, which as a brand new brand with limited resources, it's just really taxing, right? It's just really hard to do all that whilst you're obviously trying to do everything else you need to do. So D2C for us really as a launch platform allowed us to test pack format, price point, profile, brand image, all of this stuff and really, really refine it in years sort of one to two, whilst getting you know thousands of reviews, thousands of emails to really get the product to the place where we think this is now the best it can be. And then we'll do retail. So it's more of a stepping stone for us um, as opposed to a a set channel decision. So I'm really trying to sequence it this time. 
I love talking to founders that have had previous experience before, either in the food industry or not, because you learn a ton of things that worked well and a ton of things that didn't work and that you would do differently. Um, so I love that experience. You know, I've been having this conversation, I think three times this week about the sequence of launching an online brand. So talk to me even from like the very beginning, once you had the product, like how did you go about building your D2C presence from your initial kind of hundred customers to where you are today? Yeah, it's it's a uh, it's been a challenge and it continues to be a challenge. Right? As we all know, the the spaces are getting crowded now. Um, e-commerce has seen a massive boost with COVID, but of course that increases the amount of people trying to sell e-commerce. So suddenly you go from less crowded to crowded markets, even though people are now shopping online. So there's wins and losses, obviously, with all of those changes. For us, we actually decided to launch very cold turkey. So we launched with no prior email list, no pre-launch email list, no anything like that. We literally put up the Shopify store. A little bit of customization, so it's a very easy to nice kind of shop store with a bunch of cold Facebook ads to really test, is it, do people care about convenience? Do they care about keto? Do they care about no added sugar? What is it, A, getting a click-through rate and then B, getting a conversion rate? So we set up quite rigid tests early on just with small budgets to say, look, there's no PR here. There's no sort of muddy data with, with pre-launch lists or anything like that. This is day one, a new website, 10 different ad sets what is interesting. Um, and then from there, we obviously started to refine the funnels and then really scale it. Um, but early on, those first couple of months were almost 100% paid to get that data. Obviously, data has now changed a bit with iOS 14.5. But before that, it was very, very clean. Um, and then once we really understood the customer, we started to lean into more PR and referrals and influencers and other kind of areas to round out the customer. But initially, it was very cold uh, Facebook data. Yeah, I like that. Um... Let's dive into that a little bit about how much were you spending per month for that testing? Yeah, so we would literally, let's say probably 10 to 15 different ad sets and we would spend 100 to $200 a day on each of those ad sets because you get to a problem of obviously you need some critical mass to know whether that data is actually relevant or not. So, you know, we were spending a few thousand dollars a week, I would say that let's probably put it in the sales really to see data um, the aim was early on we truly had we truly believed in the product idea but we didn't know who the customer was going to be so we set quite a sizable budget and a goal of that first 90 days we're going to spend you know tens of thousands of dollars not hundreds but but in the tens to really understand who that customer is and what did you find from that who who was the yeah. customer yeah we actually found that the hypothesis was actually proven to be a little wrong um, the hypothesis was that people would be kind of isolated in their silos, right? If you're keto, you're not interested in plant-based. If you're plant-based, maybe you're not shopping gluten-free, kind of like very isolated. That is not really true. You know, we found that people, even if they come from say a plant-based ad, by their second or third purchase, they're really starting to shop the broad range that we offer across soups, across chilies, across oatmeals. To really see that better for you choice is really where people are. So we've less kind of lent into that polarized lifestyle and are now more leaning towards just general better for you in easier decision making. Is that showing up in your messaging then? Are you using words like keto very prominently or are you just using that more so like on the search side? Like how are you kind of managing those um, product attributes? Yeah, so de definitely on the search side, right? So we do a lot of organic SEO, a lot of blogs in those different lifestyles. Um, in terms of just straight ads, though, you're right. It's now more this kind of 90-second meals for busy people or easy meals at work, like kind of that job and usage occasion solution as opposed to very much on the lifestyle. 
But then when you shop the website, we have the filters that you can obviously choose keto, plant-based and, and so forth if you wish to dive in from there. And then you mentioned organic SEO. How have you gone about building um, the SEO and reaching those communities? Yeah, we've lent into that a lot, actually, especially in the last six months. So we have a, a lady in-house that works full-time for us in terms of blog creation. So we do a lot of research around some, some honestly unusual topics, right? Whether it's not necessarily soup focus, maybe it's an ingredient focus, maybe people are interested to learn about turmeric, or maybe it's gift giving or, or whatever it is. So we really try to do a lot of research in terms of what is some volume in SEO that people are searching for that people aren't particularly ranking very high for and we obviously try to create a relevant piece of content around that both which education for the consumer and then obviously a very kind of low level kind of mellow just link to the website or if you're interested in this we offer xyz so it's it's less of a sales tactic but more of a top of funnel kind of awareness um, but it is really proven to be really strong for us i talk with brands about marketing funnel and sales funnel creation and I see a lot of founders who start off at the very beginning doing a ton of work on the awareness building, but they haven't really optimized everything else below from their retention strategy and their conversion strategy. So talk to me about what you're doing on the retention side. So once someone tries proper good, how do you keep them and how do you keep them coming back? Yeah, no, it's a, it's a really interesting one. It's a problem that we're, we're continuing to solve in that, you know, the reality is even if you love a product, do you buy it every week? Do you buy it every month? I know I certainly don't, right? Even when I discover new things, sometimes I'll go three, four months without purchasing it. So really that is, for us, it's two things. It's one, obviously the light nudge of, you know, you haven't purchased in a while. Here, here's a coupon or here's a new product you may have not seen that we think you'll like based on your previous purchase. That very kind of very tailored based on their purchase behavior emails. And also just keeping front and center with education, right? We send emails that aren't sales related at all, that are maybe educational, similar to the blogs, honestly, in terms of the type of content. So even if you're not buying, you know, maybe once a week, once every two weeks, you might see something in your inbox from proper good that's relevant about maybe you want to learn about collagen or bone broth or whatever it is. And that just to kind of keep front and center has been a key tactic for us. So we try to mix it. Obviously, certain times of year, Black Friday and holiday, it's a little more sales focused because we know people are looking, looking for things to buy. Um, but the rest of the time, it's gentle and brand awareness knowing that even if you love it, you might not buy it every three weeks. And that's okay, right? That, that's okay. We've got multi-year relationships here. We're going to be around for a long time. I don't need you to buy something every 20 days for it to work out for me. And then I like that about the education piece. Have you found education important for that like website visitor to convert, or even just like, to learn more to get them over the hump? Definitely. So one, one cool example there is the soup. Obviously, we make a wide variety of products, but soup was our initial focus. And that I think it's around 40 to 50% of consumers use soup in a recipe as opposed to just eating it as a meal. So for us, we do a lot of recipe content creation from, from the very, very simple, right, to the, to the quite extreme of you know, mixing it and making a pie or something like that. So we're really trying to lean into that education because it just widens what you can do with the product and people love it, right? It's not here's a new product, here's a coupon, there you go. It's with a product you may already enjoy, with two simple steps, you can make a wonderful appetizer for a, a holiday party or something like that. And that education is really, I think it works for everyone involved, honestly. Are you doing anything uh, with SMS right now? Yes, thanks for asking that. A lot, actually. So we actually only turned on SMS probably about 80 days ago, something like that now. 
And we've seen tremendous growth. Um, you know, we're now in the, the tens of thousands of numbers that we have in terms of our internal database. And in terms of engagement, I mean, you all know the numbers, right? 90% plus open rate, so on and so forth. And we're really seeing it as a great platform for us. Um, honestly, when we send an SMS out, it does better in performance in terms of cost and revenue and so forth than when we send out an email for sure. So we're, we're continuing to lean into SMS. I know a lot of founders are cautious with SMS because they're not sure what's the right content to send out through that platform, sure. right? They don't want to be annoying, but they also want it to be helpful and they see all these great numbers. So how do you approach um, content and messages through SMS? Yeah, still working on it is the honest answer. Um, we, we've tested all of those kind of issues and ideas. Um, where I think we're now is we're very brand driven, right? So we do a lot of humor, a lot of like silly innuendo, a lot of fun. So we really try, even if it's, hey, here's a new product, it's got some sort of quirkiness to it that'll hopefully get a smile or hopefully get a share or something like that. So it's, you know, a fun little gift that goes with it or some very kind of conversational tone as opposed to what you might get from one of the larger brands. So we really try to infuse that personality and we, we have a very, very low kind of unsubscribe rate and so forth. So it's working so far, but we're still refining it. You know, that's one thing I really love is your brand, right? And that's one thing I keep reading over and over again, how, there's tons of products out there. You know, there's a hundred plus different thousands, different suit brands out there alone. Um, but it's really creating a brand that people can relate to and enjoy that gets them coming back. So talk about your brand personality of proper good and how that shows up. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's a really fun one, right? I think, as you said, there's so many different ways to go about this. And for us, it really was, we want to infuse our personalities in the brand. So you'll see, You'll see inspirational quotes on the packaging. You'll see jokes when you turn it over. You'll see incredibly conversational tone and kind of whimsical is kind of the, the key word we use there. And for us, as you said, there's a huge difference between a product line and a brand, right? Although it's very intangible and very challenging to actually quantify. So for us, we've really leaned into it um, in that you'll see if you go to the website, you'll see us dressed in silly costumes. You'll see us wearing, you know, all sorts of fun stuff, really as a decision, right? There wasn't by accident. When we started the brand, it should it be clean and simple. Obviously, there's a lot of really beautiful kind of aesthetic D2C brands. We wanted that to be from a clean point of view, but we also thought there was an opportunity to infuse personality. And the easiest way to do that is to infuse our personalities. So yeah, it was a very intentional decision. Um, obviously, the business is only a year and a half old, so that is certainly evolving. But we really wanted it to be founder-driven and founder-led as opposed to a kind of standalone image of the business. Are you going about creating your content? Because I've seen a couple of your videos and they're like sure. generally like funny and <laughs> kind of feature you in there. So talk about like your content creation strategy. Yeah. So it's funny you mentioned the humor. So literally the more we've leaned into that, the better it's done for us, right? I think, and it's, it's that whole, the way things going now with new platforms and so forth, the more authentic it is, the better. It's as simple as that. So for example, some of the videos you've said, actually some of the outtakes of those videos ended up becoming the actual video. Um, because it's just more interesting than me doing, you know, a perfectly succinct description. It's actually funnier if I mess it up and drop a soup on the floor and that that kind of thing gets much more engagement. So we do all content creation in-house um, in terms of all photography, all label creation, all video is all done in-house. Um, that's a, it's a key part for us. We're as much a content company as we are a food company. Um, but yeah, really lean into that. More, more silly, more down to earth, the better. You know, it really reminds me of, uh, yeah, I'm sure you're aware, there's a content studio called Harmon Brothers that creates yeah. like amazingly fun videos. They do 
the videos for like purple mattress and the squatty potty and poopery and things like that. Yeah. Um, but they're just like so damn watchable and mm-hmm. entertaining that like even people who would never like buy the products can remember the ads and that definitely helps with like recall and awareness and just like being remembered because that's the hardest thing with um all the stimuli we get of seeing like tons of posts on social and just everyday life of actually like remembering a brand and i think you do an incredibly great job at that Thank you. We're, so, we're certainly trying to super familiar with all those videos and brands you mentioned. And it's, you know, at the end of the day, as a D2C brand, you live and die by that cost of acquisition and, and retention, obviously. So having videos that can really live on their own and just go, you know, create interest and fun on their own without a budget is, is incredibly helpful. How many products do you have on your website now or like that you have launched about? <laughs> I know it's kind of Yeah, yeah it's, it's very quick. So we launch new products every six weeks and really try to do real-time iteration on current products. So they're honestly continuous changing. There is no sort of set line in the sand there. But we launched with four items in April 2020. Right now we have 18 items, um, and that's 18 across soups, chilies, bone broths, and oatmeal to try and really be that kind of breakfast, lunch, and dinner meals. How are you going about doing that? So product, new product launch every six weeks or so. That's amazing. Um, How have you built that into your process to actually make that launch? Sure. It's before we even started, honestly, it was one of the absolute key things about the company. One of one of the frustrations I had in CPG is that long product development lead time, high minimum order quantities and a long time to sell it into a store. And suddenly, you know, 18 months of selling, let's say to a major retailer, and we really don't know what's happening, right? We don't get that user level data. We don't know that kind of shelf level stuff. So for us, we said, look, we need to be able to do tiny minimums. We often run 500, 1,000 of a product, something very, very small. We sell it to current customers or even give it to current customers and then just go on a very kind of real-time feedback loop. So honestly, from day one, we said we're, we're not partnering with a supplier. We're not launching a product if it cannot fit a few of these kind of checkboxes and one of those was very low minimum order quantity and ability to kind of iterate every four to six weeks so it's it's really built into the the process and partnerships i would say as much as just the overall ethos of the company i love that then so are you working i'm assuming with a uh, a contract manufacturer or packer that's able to put these all together for you correct yeah so we actually do a lot of the benchtop recipes ourselves and with Mm -hmm. a, a lady we work with in terms of you know, consumers are demanding this soup that let's make one or they're demanding this flavor of oatmeal. Let's make a bench top. And then our manufacturer works with it from there in terms of a small minimum run. And, you know, more often than not, there's a few tweaks and iterations to be made, but we do that with the consumer. So, you know, by the time you're producing 10 to 20,000 a run, you're really confident that product is the best it can be. One thing that I notice a lot, right, is like brands who launch with a retail focused mindset um, and sometimes DC, but especially sure. retail come in with a strategy of like, I can't get every product on the shelf. And so I only need to have like one to three products or like, you know, different SKU varieties. Otherwise I might like cannibalize sales from one to the other because it's tough to get that shelf space at the same time when they're launching on D2C that limits them in their potential. Because as you mentioned, even though we're in consumable products, people might only buy you every like once every three months or four months. Um, But I like your strategy because you're giving people lots of options to try different, you know, they buy one and try it and then you have like a variety pack, which is usually the most popular. Then people 
can try some of the other flavors, try the new product launches. And that really gets people to come back is actually having new products that are constantly coming, um, coming out. Honestly, it's a, you're, you're nailing it in terms of our strategy there. Exactly. You said it better than I can in terms of we see new product launch essentially as a retention strategy, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it's, it's exciting. It's exciting for everyone involved. It's fun for us to make things that people want, and it's fun for them to see you know, a new product as a reason to come back. And just from a, a business point of view, obviously, they don't come back and just buy that one product, right? They come back, as you said, they fill the basket with the things they liked previously or, or a couple of new items, and what, what we've really found is the more products we've launched, the higher our average order value has gone. Um, you know, we haven't seen much cannibalization. We've really seen people enjoying that variety to add more as opposed to having sort of a set basket size. Yeah, I think that's key. And it's so, so smart about your strategy because so many brands struggle with getting their, their average order value up because you know no one wants to buy a hundred of the same energy bar flavors or the same of three. And so that makes it really difficult. But if you have, you know, 15, 20 different products, then it makes it easier for people to mix and match and try different things and get excited about a new launch. And then, like you said, every six weeks, you have something new for people to be excited about and new to try. Exactly. Absolutely love that. Well, this has been incredible. Um, What's next for proper good? Yeah, so lots of fun stuff. So we're, we're entering sort of the, the busy season for our current product set. Obviously, the winter through New Year is, is big for soups and chilies and bone broth, which is where, you know, majority of our products have been. We just launched those breakfast oatmeals about three weeks ago. So it's our first foray into breakfast. So for us, really, we're, we're more products in that breakfast and lunch occasion. So really, people see us as a true 90-second meals company. So that's what you can see. In the next few months, we'll see more and more across the wider meal occasion plus some cool updates on current products, some cool gifting stuff coming for Christmas season. So lots of fun things going on. Excellent, Chris. So great to talk with you and excited about your journey so far and what you've been able to learn about really building a strong D2C business and wishing you the uh, best of success. It was very kind. Thank you. Thank you.